Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And do yourself a favor to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I hope you're comfortable and ready, and I want you to know this, that right after the conversation I have with our special guest, who joins us for an open and honest look into the subject, porn, stick around for a brand new adult bedtime story. Written and narrated by yours truly, it's going to take us on a country drive. I'm Jeff Woods, your host of the podcast with the open mind about relationships and sexuality with weekly guests and the intention to normalize conversation around pleasure and sexuality, shame-free and inclusive. Available for free wherever podcasts can be found. Follow, enjoy, share, review if you're so inclined. And there's the Blue Hotel hotline where you can leave a message with a comment or a question. Just look for the microphone at the bottom right of the page, bluehotelpodcast.com. Uh, say your first name at least, or, or you can change your name, whatever you're comfortable with. That's bluehotelpodcast.com. Now let's meet our special guest today, the dynamic, engaging, sex-positive, internationally awarded speaker, PhD human sexuality student, relationship coach, who's been involved with the fields of sexology and anti-sexual violence for more than a decade. She works with individuals and people in relationships to enhance their intimate lifestyles. Her enthusiasm for combining research and trauma-informed practices into sexual connection has been the driving force for her presentations and her workshops and her coaching sessions. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Blue Hotel, Alicia Fisher. Hi, Alicia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love what you've done with the carpet here at the Blue Hotel. It's fabulous. <laughs> thank you. It's good to have you here. I want to talk to you today uh, more in depth than we have in the first 13 episodes. Something we always touch on, something everybody seems to bring up because it's so ubiquitous in most countries. I want to talk to you about porn. We've established that while pornography broadly covers the depiction of erotic behaviors in pictures, in art, in animation, in the written word, in video, it's that last one, right, that most people go to in their heads. Uh, porn tends to suggest people having sex on camera. The video is definitely the one that comes to people's mind whenever you say the word pornography, but we've been seeing a huge increase in, as well in erotic literature, which is pretty much just porn written out. Jumping back to even the Fifty Shades of Grey era, where just everyone was so enthusiastic and excited about sexual connection in a different way that doesn't go to the normal script. People wanted new and exciting sexual things. And, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey, as we can talk about the plenty of issues within the BDSM kink perspectives of that, it definitely opened the door for more populations to think about sex and intimacy and what that means to them. Yeah, long before there was television and before moving pictures, films, <laughs> there was there was literature. And a lot of it was outlawed. You know, fear is a powerful force. We're way past that, at least in the Western world, thankfully. We closed most of the episodes of The Blue Hotel with a, a narrated piece of mostly fiction. A scenario that usually lasts 15 or 20 minutes. 
that's erotic in nature. And it seems that it's connecting with people. And it makes sense because ASMR is a huge category on Pornhub in particular that people love hearing. They love hearing these very sexy sounds that just go beyond what the normal expectations of sex are. So let's back up to that. So ASMR is an alternative way to consume any sort of uh, content. Now, it stands for Autonomous Sensory Mitteridian Response. So it's a term to kind of elicit that goosebump feeling. You know when you know that one sound that you hear and you go, oh, you get those little goosies on the back of your neck? <laughs> that is kind of like ASMR, but you know, ASMR took off in 2019's porn top most searched for terms, just like defining what people are actually looking for in their pornographic content. As a relationship coach, I talk to people all over the world about sex, intimacy, and even pornography. And I get so much feedback about, it's not necessarily the sensations of sex that turn people on, it's hearing their partner, hearing their partner moan, hearing their partner pant, hearing the sounds of their bodies colliding, the juices flowing. That just brings our attention to ourselves, our bodies, and pleasure in a, in a whole new way. That's something I wanted to get to, um, <laughs> is the lack of, oftentimes, uh, authenticity around sound in porn. And let me explain what I mean. Uh, and I know you know what I'm talking about, but for everyone listening, a uh, couple of things. One, sometimes in heterosex, she is uh, overdoing it. Um, there seems to be um, a lot more noise than would be natural. Take that a step further, and sometimes the moaning and the sounds of the female in the scene are dubbed in after the fact. And it's very obvious that they're dubbed in because they're not, you know, syncing <laughs> with the motions of the mouth. And then three, and this is the big one that I hear people talk about, the guy is silent sometimes. It's all about the woman's noises, and she's the only one having pleasure. Where is he audibly in this mm -hmm. scene? Speak to some of that for us, Alicia. Here's the thing with pornography, and I'm sorry if I'm going to ruin this for viewers. Porn is entertainment. Yes, it's, it is real people having sex. You know, the green screen is, it can be used here and there. But porn is really uh, an exaggeration of intimacy, connection, and sex. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending on who you are, porn is ultimately designed by men for men. So there tends to be a focus on female pleasure for the heterosexual viewer. And unfortunately, it's just, um, it takes away from, from men. And what's really fascinating is that we actually see a lot of women consuming gay porn because they love viewing men experiencing pleasure, seeing men's bodies when they have reached that climax, besides just, you know, the ejaculation, like to actually witness that is something that is really turning women on and they love watching gay porn for that, you know, the heterosexual ones at least. If I'm hearing you, quite potentially, quite possibly, there's more authenticity in gay porn between men and perhaps women. There's definitely more of a viewership of male pleasure in gay porn, for sure. Two gay men or two gay women are making love or having sex, however you want to position it. In porn, I'm not aware of there being dubbed in sounds for that. It seems more like the real thing 
from what I've heard and seen. Allegedly, for research. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about it. I'm a consumer of porn, and, uh, and I think everyone is. Um, anyone listening to this podcast would be, or they would have been scared away from it. Uh, and the whole series of episodes, it's safe to establish, but I'd like to know from you, you know more about it than I do. There's a couple kinds of porn. Before we get to ethical porn, which is a whole category that I want to really dive into with you and your knowledge around it is substantial, so that'll be great. But there's professionally created porn, and then there's user-submitted, user-shot porn. Am I getting it right? It's really fascinating. When we look at Pornhub in particular, the top searches that defined 2022, number one, reality. So people are not are not just wanting the professional, cute, tailored porn. They're really wanting to see real, homemade, amateur. Um, in fact, the reality category on Pornhub had a 169% increase in most search for terms compared to 2021. So people are really wanting to see a more authentic depiction of, of sex. What are the telltale signs, as you see it, of user-submitted, only two people, if it's a two-person scene, in the room? I guess, I guess the most obvious one is a stationary camera, and it's not cutting to different camera angles, right? That's definitely part of it. But the thing with technology, it's getting better and better. So, you know, when you asked that question, the first thing that came to my mind is, oh, how clear is the image and how precise is the camera positioning? Where is the camera moving? Because sometimes even with amateur porn, they have an actual camera person moving the camera and filming things behind the scenes as well. The line between professional and at home is kind of starting to blur in terms of the imagery that we're starting to see. One way to find out if it's like amateur or professionals looking at who's posted it. So um, if it's like a big porn company posting it, but also sometimes, uh, you know, obviously the porn industry is very, very smart and they know what people like. So what they'll do is they'll take that professional home equipment and give it to the porn stars themselves to take home and film themselves. So it's amateurly made, um, but it's done by professionals. So really this line gets quite wishy-washy. I guess at the end of the day, um, if you're aware of all the different porn that's available to you and you have access to it, because and we'll talk about it, some of it you actually have to pay for, which mm -hmm. comes with its pros and cons, but um, you end up watching what you enjoy. Back to your point that it's entertainment. Yeah. You know, people want specific nuanced things. And something that I really love doing as a porn researcher is looking at um, Pornhub in particular and their year in reviews and looking at what people are wanting and consuming. And it's really fascinating because a lot of it coincides with what is socially happening in the world. So we think about the Me Too movement. In 2017 on Pornhub, we actually saw that reflected in what people were consuming. In fact, porn for women was actually the number one most defined term of that year. So women were wanting to not necessarily learn, but just see pleasure for women depicted more in what they were watching in their pornographic content. They were sick of the same old sexual scripts. They really wanted to see something that was more for women. And that can include things like even a storyline, um, more bodies, uh, more foreplay and like actual real foreplay, not like the scissoring <laughs> where they just like rub against each other. If we're thinking about like lesbians and how they just scissor, it's, you know, not really that realistic, right? We we all know like 
if you're like a penis possessing person and you see someone sucking dick and the penis person's like, oh yeah, this is incredible. And you're like, no, no, that's, you're just, <laughs> now you're faking it. Like stop that. So um, yeah, like we, we see what's going on socially reflected in porn. So we see things like fidget spinners, uh, Belle Delphine, cosplay, making its way into uh, these categories of what people are actually wanting to see in their porn. What do you think the top categories are, uh, if you had to name three or four? Lesbian. Lesbian, when we actually look at most search for terms, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, all the way through, lesbian always seems to be in the top five, if not number one. What about the rest of the top five? What, what are the things that we're seeing? It, it always makes me giggle, and I'm sorry for laughing. I shouldn't be laughing, but... The moms, the stepmoms, the stepsisters, the MILF. I believe it was uh, 2018. Moms, stepmoms appeared in uh, the most searched for terms in the top five. I think it was like four out of five of them were all mom-based things. So seeing a lot of that family um, influence in there is always very interesting. Yeah, there's the stepsister, the stepbrother, the MILF. And, and of course, the GILF, which uh, may not be as popular as the MILF. What do you attribute the, uh, the popularity of Moms I'd Like to Fuck, the MILF category, becoming more and more popular? Two things. One, push against taboos, against, uh, you know, what we should and who we ought to be having sex with. It's like a very sexual, like, ooh, this is exciting and like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, it's Freud is rolling over in his grade in, in excitement right now of uh, like the Oedipus complex and, you know, the son being attracted to the mother. And I don't know how much merit I give that, but I think the taboo aspect as one of them is definitely there. The second one, I've also believed that it pushes against beauty standards. So when we think about like the beauty industry, it's young, fit women, uh, typically white, that fit this very narrow vision of beauty. And I think what the MILF category does is that it pushes against that. It goes, no, 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 we can have wrinkles. We can have, um, you know, love handles and stretch marks, larger breast, and, you know, just loving women for that. It's basically guys who want to be with uh, older women, older than they are. You know, with a MILF, you're a mother, right? You're someone who has obviously had sex and has then procreated, right? So there could be also this aspect of there in there of this is a woman who knows what she likes, who can communicate that, who can also be dominant, take charge, because, you know, even what I hear from men in my coaching is that they're exhausted and that they always feel like they always have to initiate, that they always are the dominant one in the bedroom. And to potentially have a woman who knows what she likes, knows her boundaries, is able to articulate it, and to then lead what's going to happen, that could be a really great, beautiful release for guys. Among your breadth of knowledge is uh, the ability to dispel myths around porn. Alicia, tell me more about that. Absolutely. So when I talk about pornography, it gets one of two reactions. The secretly excited, but I'm not going to say I'm secretly excited reaction or the how dare you talk about this. And some of the things that come up is, you know, porn depicts violence against women. Didn't you hear that 88 percent of porn depicts violence against women? And this is the great thing, but also downfall about research and the science side to pornography. So, yes, there is research out there that said 88 percent of porn depicts violence against women. 
but how do we define violence against women? And so Jeff, maybe I'll ask you some questions. Do you think when more than two people are having sex that that is violence against women? No, it can be, but not necessarily. Mm -hmm. What about when a woman is making an orgasm face, like an O face? Would you say that's violence against women? (laughs) Absolutely not. How about kink and BDSM? So spanking, slapping, maybe having some whips and change. Would you define that as violence against women? Well, we both know that the power, if you're doing it correctly, is in in, in, in the hands of the submissive, not the dominant. So that's another no. Mm-hmm. So in that study, all of those facets and many more were actually defined as violence against women. So it really comes down to how is the researcher defining violence against women? So 2%, McKee 2005, found that that much porn depicts violence against women. 14%. are also numbers that have been scientifically found how much porn depicts violence against women. So that's like the good and bad about science, but it's important to actually look at how is that being defined. And what's also really interesting too, another thing that comes to um, my attention is that people say, oh, well, people who watch porn end up hating women or have lower attitudes towards women. And some research from 2015 actually found that Porn users have more egalitarian attitudes towards women in power, towards women working outside the home, and toward abortion compared to non-users of pornography. And what was really interesting, between the users of pornography, men had more positive ideas about abortion and their self-identification as a feminist compared to users of pornography that were women. So I found that particularly interesting. Yes, correlating education, uh, empathy, compassion, human decency with porn watching. I like that study. Um, that other study that identified 88% porn is violence against women. It was Dines 2010. That sounds like the worst load of crap I've ever heard. You're defining your variables correctly. And if you can identify, sorry, this is my PhD brain coming over. Um, but if you can identify that here is, if a woman is making an O face, well, that is violence against women because when we look at women's natural way to have sex, they're not making that O face. So therefore this, this is violence against women because you're hurting a woman. So it's like, if you can back up what you're saying with other research studies, then it's scientifically sound. Well, listen, from what I understand, um, there is a certain face that most humans make in the very natural act of sexual intercourse or sex of any kind, certainly of uh, the climax, the orgasm. If you're looking like you're without reaction, without expression, you're probably not having an orgasm. So, so much for the study of 2010. Uh, It's 2023 now. So much more has been Uh, discussed, learned, studied. What are you excited about in terms of the research around and the um, education around pornography? One of my favorite studies that came out in 2021, so quite recent, actually found that the majority of porn users have no or positive impacts of pornography on their relationships. And in fact, it was the people using the least amount of porn that had the most amount of problems. And why was that? The reason that they found is that it's not the porn that causes the negative impacts on the relationship. It's their perceptions of porn. So they call it a moral incongruence. If you believe 
that porn is bad and then you go and watch porn, then you're going to have a worse time with the pornography because you're going to think you're a bad person for watching it. You're going to think the porn is bad. And then therefore you're going to have a more negative experience. It's important, especially as a couple, to understand how each other feels about something. One might say porn's bad, the other might watch it. And that that causes secrets. He goes into the the other room and watches porn late at night or waits till she's asleep. You hear about that because, oh, she doesn't like porn or it could go the other way. She's consuming it on the sly and he would have a problem with that. It's pretty wonderful when you have couples that understand how each other feels, uh, not, not necessarily agrees with everything, but has empathy and understanding and couples that can watch porn together. It's one of the greatest forms, as I understand it, of foreplay. Is it not? Absolutely. I think that there's a big importance to understanding what this content means to you and why you are thinking that way. So it's okay to think that porn is bad, but why do you think porn is bad? Is it because a certain religious scripture told you that porn is bad? Is it because your parents told you it was bad? Is it because the media and these articles told you it was bad? Or is this something that you have learned for yourself, right? And so there was a study that came out that actually found that couples who watch porn together actually have greater sexual satisfaction and uh, enhanced communication in their relationship because it's just important to actually talk about these really tough topics. Porn is not an easy topic to engage with. And so I always tell people, reflect on your own assumptions about it. And what are your objectives for talking about it in your relationship? And if you watch it, what do you watch and why do you watch it? Porn is not going to ruin your relationship. It is how you work with the content, how you work with your partner's consumption um, patterns, how you then conceptualize it that will then impact the relationship. So if you're able to articulate, okay, you know, don't watch porn, porn is bad and your partner watches it, and then you go, oh, well, you're bad because you went against what I what I said. It's more healthy for you to understand and think about, you know, why am I having such a reaction? How am I taking this on for myself to recognize why do I think porn is bad? Why do I think my partner watching it is bad? Am I having judgments? Am I thinking that, oh, my partner wants them more than me? And then how do you open up that conversation with your partner about it? Hey, I've noticed that you've been watching porn when we're in bed together. I've noticed that you've been masturbating instead of having sex with me. So open up those conversations with those open-ended questions and you're going to learn a lot. Alicia, they say that how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I love that. You know, you're either really attention detailed on this and this and this and this and all the things, or you're really not. If you're great at communicating with your partner about this and this and this Chances are you could be great at communicating about that, that being porn in this, in this case. Why would you be afraid of it? Um, being afraid of it, sidestepping it, not talking about it is the antithesis of great communication with a couple, particularly a couple that consider themselves to be sexual. Masturbation and porn kind of go hand in hand often, <laughs> don't they? Hand on genitals, hand on yeah. cock. Each other, yes. Right. <laughs> Don't just jump to the clit, though. You got you got to kiss her first, right? Oh, I'm so glad you watched that. I was, you know, uh, sent you a, a video link, and if anybody doesn't r know about it, it's quite funny. 1983, the movie "The Meaning of Life," the Monty Python film, in which John Cleese is the headmaster, as it were, which is a great 
word for teacher in England. And uh, all the other cast members of Buddy Python are students in the class. And he proceeds to talk about sex and give a lesson in sex education. And then he has a live model come in and he talks about. He talks about foreplay, which like, <laughs> you know, when I think back to my sex education, it was like, don't have sex, get on the birth control. You know, like if you have sex, you're going to wind up pregnant. But in that particular clip, like it and you even look at the comments, it goes so beyond what is actually talked about in the classroom. And I was like, wow, like you're talking about the clitoris with over the over 10,000 nerve endings. And you're talking about how to turn a woman on and to, to get the juices flowing. And uh, and then the live demonstration. I worked at Dr. Jessica O'Reilly and we were at the uh, OFIA conference, which is all about physical health. And of course, sex ed comes into the health curriculum and uh, parents actually had concerns that they brought up with teachers that there's live sex demonstrations going on with class. And, you know, I don't know where in the budget they have that, but uh, maybe they got it inspired from Monty Python. (laughs) It wouldn't be an awful idea. Um, A lot of things seem really extreme to people that uh, are afraid. I, I think fear is the biggest challenge and the biggest barrier to greater understanding of self, of partner, of all of it, of all subjects, particularly sex. To your point earlier, using the word taboo, uh, to me, there's nothing taboo. Everything needs to be talked about. You talked about consent in porn. Consent is the number one C word in this podcast, in this series of episodes, whether it's verbal consent or um, nonverbal cues. Nothing is more important than consent. So that leads us to ethical porn. And part of ethical porn, a huge part of it, has to do with the well-being of the people that are involved. Tell us more. Yeah, absolutely. There's two words that kind of get thrown together, ethical porn and feminist porn. So the way I like to differentiate them is that ethical porn is more concerned about the labor laws, if you will everyone being involved, agreeing to what's happening, you know, consent, and that they're being paid for the work that they are doing, right? They're not being asked to do extras, especially being asked to do extras without being paid up front. So ethical porn is really about creating content where the workers are safe, the staff behind the camera are safe, they feel as if they are fully informed as to what's going to be happening, when things are going to be happening, and that everyone feels good about what they're creating. Feminist porn takes that and goes one step further and is then concerned about the image that it creates. So you can have ethical pornography that still upholds heterosexual scripts of sex um, that can be, you know, kind of violent and very aggressive, but, you know, it was very ethically created, um, but they're not quite concerned with the image that they make. That's where feminist porn takes a step further and ensures that there's a lot of different bodies, a lot of different ways that pleasure is uh, produced and occurring. And that's kind of the differences. One of my favorite uh, producers of this is actually a Canadian. Um, She's called Scene Sinclair. C-I-N-E, Sinclair, Cherry Stems Media creates uh, this fantastic ethically produced, uh, feminist-based produced porn, and it is, it's quite beautiful. And what she does is before the scene even starts, before the performers take off their clothes, she puts the money down. The performer could take the money, look at the set, and be like, this isn't what we talked about, I don't feel safe here, and walk out the door. So, Scene Sinclair really takes a lot of um, care when it comes to creating the content. 
Let's look further towards that um, word ethical. So let's say there's uh, amateur porn, legitimate amateur porn that is not shot by a company, um, mm -hmm. that is shot you know, among friends or just the couple, uh, be it a gay couple, lesbian couple, a hetero couple. Um, but there has to be ethics even in that that speak to the other expression, which was uh, feminist porn. In other words, consent is, is first and foremost. Not only do you understand what is expected, you're not doing it unless you want to do it and are comfortable doing it, um, even with amateur porn, um, because people can be coerced, uh, convinced, encouraged, made to feel less if they don't participate. So ethics is from A to Z in all of this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, for this type of content. And I think that there are a lot of concerns that are coming out of the pornography workforce, the adult industry, that are saying that we are having unethical um, workspaces, um, that we're being asked to do these extras. And so here's here's the thing. When we try to say porn is bad, we need to abolish it, what that ends up doing is that it makes it unsafe for people who are producing that content. You know, to think that by banning porn, all of a sudden we're going to liberate all these lives and they're going to be free. No, no, no. You still have to make money at the end of the day. And if you enjoy making that content, that's fantastic. But you now have to do that in an unsafe way because to create porn in an industry that's abolished, where you're going to go to unsafe and underground measures. When we think about prohibition of alcohol, what was that good for, right? We had unsafe working conditions, unsafe product. When we want to actually make it safe for folks who are involved in this industry, throwing it under the bus and saying we need to be rid of it is not going to make um, the industry safer. Great point. Uh, the other expression that I heard that made sense to me uh, uh, to correlate to, to coffee, of all things, ethical porn, a.k.a. fair trade porn. Have you heard that expression, right? I have, I have, yes. What are some of the things lacking, mostly perhaps, in professionally produced, so-called professionally produced porn? What's not there that people say, I wish there was more of this? We talked about sounds, you know, authentic sounds. What else is missing in a lot of the porn? I think it's looking at what's actually being demanded of the industry right now really leads us into what we need to see more of. And that is a um, greater demonstration, a greater visualization of bodies, of different types of bodies engaging in um, sexual connections that goes beyond fetishization. And so um, there's a line between wanting to see bodies engage in sexual pleasure and going, oh, I only want to see uh, trans women um, have sex. But yet in my everyday life, I'm going to say that, you know, we shouldn't be honoring trans people, but yet I'm going to go and consume pornographic content that has them. So I think um, when it comes to what we need to see more, where the industry needs to go is to keep bringing in diverse bodies so um, and diverse ways of experiencing pleasure that are somewhat more authentic to what people actually experience. So when we are engaging in group sex, for example, which was one of the top three most increased search for terms in 2022, you know, aren't we seeing that awkwardness? And I think people really love that. You know, I love the bloopers section of Pornhub because it just paints them as real people, you know, having fun um, and engaging in sex. So 
We see things like more awkwardness, more reality, more conversations, um, and in different areas, right? So it's not just indoors on a bed. It's also outdoors. It's also in um, hotel rooms. It's also, you know, meeting up and, and having fun. And there's also an aspect of power dynamics, too. So it's not just in heterosexual depictions, the man being the dominant one and the female submissive, but femdoms out there um, and seeing more alternative forms of pleasure. In fact, pegging and cuckold grew 18% um, in terms of increased search for terms on Pornhub in 2022. So I think people are just really wanting to see a variety of ways that people experience pleasure where it's not just the man in charge, kiss, oral, penetrations and the man comes and that's it. We want more diversity. <laughs> well, you reminded me of uh, two things I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, one, one, one is kissing. I mean, uh, far be it for me to suggest that when people make love, there's usually kissing involved. Why is it uh, absent in so much porn, one wonders? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think people just want to get to the big shebang, right? It's like, okay, this is cute, but like I'm here to see the thing you know i'm here to see the penetration um and kissing too it's hard sometimes um especially for shorter videos to really create that more authentic connection i believe it was uh, like a young person told me that kissing someone and having oral sex with them is more intimate than the penetration i think in the the hierarchy of what's most intimate kissing would be number one Mm -hmm. Uh, penetration would be number two Oral would be number three, um, but there's kissing involved while having sex, while penetrating, while having penetrative sex. That and kissing can happen at the same time. So, so I don't buy that kissing is just sort of too much foreplay. Get to it. You can get to it and continue to kiss, can't you? That's the porn that seems to me to be the most authentic. I host a lot of workshops at various sex clubs. And one of um, the big activities that I do is an eye contact activity. And just the mere act of looking your partner in the eye and not saying a word is so arousing and so tantalizing. And it just, it makes you want to grab your partner and start kissing them right there. But I'm like, nope, you just just have to look at each other. And yeah, it's a very powerful tool. One of the fairly common uh, go-tos on social media, Twitter, let's say, because more is allowable on Twitter. It's kind of a wild west still, and maybe more so since... Mr. Musk got involved. One of the um, more prevalent uh, insults men seem to throw around with other men is cuck, cuckold. In actual fact, to your point about some of the most growth in in categories of porn, uh, cuckold. That is, someone comes to your place, it's usually the way, right, to your house and has sex with your partner. So it's a guy that sits and watches and humiliation is a factor oftentimes. Um, but the thing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, it, it's a really popular category for this reason. Seeing your partner turned on seems to be the commonality among people who like that. Seeing a woman really turned on and being the, the outsider. And it's a powerful thing for a lot of men. There's just something, as you said, just so arousing about watching your your wife being pleasured by another man and you just sitting there and taking it all in. And I think it also goes back to Justin Lee Miller's work with fantasies, because when we look up and when we... Uh, 
talk to people about what their fantasies are. Some of the top fantasies include things like multi-partner sex, power, control, rough sex, novelty, adventure, and variety. And when you think about cuckolding, for example, that kind of hits all the main categories, right? You got multiple people there. You got your power and control of you being humiliated by someone as they pleasure your wife. And it's kind of a novelty, right? It's not something that's happening every single day. One of the tricks that I've heard about that uh, that men can use to masturbate and somehow involve their partner is doing a search. Uh, long, dark-haired woman uh, or, or long, dark-haired, large breasts or blonde, curly-haired and then go through and find. And, and it's, it's a way of involving being entertained by pornography when you masturbate, but it's a way of involving your actual relationship rather than excluding um, your partner from the whole process. It, it, little things that you can do. Um, and then when your partner says, I, I think you're watching too much porn. Well, honey, I often go to a search that includes someone who looks like you, so I can imagine you doing this. Fantasy being a huge part of the foreplay too. So you you part ways, you go to your office, I go to my office, or whatever you do for a living. Um, and, and, and during the day, one of the other ways to um, excite your partner so that when you get home later, you've already had a full day of foreplay, is sending them uh, images, sending them uh, erotica, the written word, sending them links to porn that you know because of what they've told you about their preferences that they're going to get off on or think about or be excited about or get wet about or get hard about. So when you get home, you can compare notes or you can just jump right into bed. Because here's the thing. Our sex life is not a light switch. Maybe at the beginning of the relationship, it was where you could just turn be turned on just like that. But here's the thing, when it comes to especially our long-term relationships, we need time, we need that foreplay to not only get our bodies physically aroused, but our mind psychologically aroused. And so something that I suggest to couples who have children is to have a sex candle. And when you're feeling in the mood, light that candle, put it right in the middle of the dinner table, and then stare at your partner as you and your partner are eating dinner, knowing full well that something a little sexy sexy is going to happen a little later on in the night. That is brilliant. I love that suggestion. Of course, kids being as intelligent as they are at a younger and younger age, it would seem are going to catch on to that, which may be funny in and of itself. Alicia, one barrier, in fact, the only one I can think of to accessing ethical porn, some of it does cost. You think about OnlyFans, for example, um, and many vids and how people are so willing to pay for that content. But it's really interesting that when it comes to paying for pornography, there is a ho and a hum and oh, I don't I don't know. And here's the thing. It's because it's readily available for free in so many places. There is a website that I always suggest to people and it has more feminist influenced ideas about female sexual pleasure, and that's Belessa, B-E-L-L-E-S-A. And that is a collection of 
content that people have watched, enjoyed, and wanted to upload to that site. Another site that I really love now, this does cost a little bit of money, is X Confessions. Erica Lust is part of this ethical porn movement. X Confessions um, is a collection of uh, really, really hot erotic material. And I think the last time I paid for it, the last billing cycle, I, I think I pay yearly and it's roughly like 200 for the year. Um, and these are like long videos and they're hot and they're sexy and all the bodies, uh, one of my favorite videos on X Confessions is Men in Kilts. And I think there's only one penetrative scene, but all the rest are just the men in kilts and this woman daydreaming about these men in kilts. And they're just slowly touching themselves. And the guys actually don't come in it. She actually comes to thinking about them. And that's one of my favorite videos. But um, here's the thing, you know, if you want to actually support this, um, the performers, you want to engage with this, it does cost some money. And but when you pay for this, it's actually going to the, uh, the industry going to the performers going to the company to actually continue to produce this material in a most ethical way that they can. So paying for porn definitely has its advantages. One of our favorite people who encouraged this Blue Hotel podcast to start in the first place in September 2022 is uh, a performer herself. She's also um, an anchor for Naked News, a Torontonian who most often lives in New York, named Laura Desiree, and she works for CAM4. She is worth seeking out. She launched the Blue Hotel with me, episode one, in which she talked about uh, masturbation and pornography. She talked about masturbation as a meditation, because people always talk about meditating, and it's something she really can't do. But then she you know, put two and two together and thought, well, if masturbation isn't a meditation, then what is? Let's listen into a bit of that clip before we continue. You know, I hear all the time from people that I, I don't know how to meditate. I hear about the benefits of meditation. I hear about how amazing people's lives and stress levels are because meditation is a part of their world and I just can't do it. Here's a reality check. When you masturbate, you are meditating. It's a meditation. The pursuit of that climax, you are so present in that moment. You're not thinking about anything else but that desire that you are chasing right to the cliff, right before you leap off of it and welcome that waterfall, that tsunami, whatever it is, that is meditation. You have to be present in order to reach that level of bliss. One of the things I often bring up, because it's, it's prevalent among young men, perhaps more now than ever, because porn is more ubiquitous than ever before, is that when you masturbate to porn 100% of the time, perhaps your imagination is not as good as it would be if you didn't have that outlet. And the other pitfall, I want to talk about pitfalls of porn, the other one that I can think of top of my head that relates to that is when you are with a partner, sometimes you need porn too to get to the finish line, as it were, as a man, or you need to live inside of your head thinking about porn. Speak to all of this for us, Alicia, if you would. Pitfalls. For sure. And one thing that comes up a lot in 
my talks is the discussion and the questions surrounding sex addiction and porn addiction. And while that's not something that can be characterized by the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, the DSM, um, I think what happens is when you start to rely on something in order to get off, in order for you to be grounded in the sexual experience, then it's really important to think about, you know, why is that happening? Why is it that I can't tear myself away from this content? And something that I would suggest to folks if they're looking and they're so engaged with the pornography and that they need the porn is to turn on your video that you want to turn on and set it to the side. So you're just listening to it. And then you're having to actually work in your imagination actually having to think about it either rather than just having it right in front of you. And so then that way you can start to disassociate and start to separate the need for porn in order for you to masturbate, in order for you to have sex, um, and brings you right back into yourself, into what you're feeling with your body. It's a great experiment to not have the porn on, to maybe close your eyes if that helps, and to think about something that turns you on. It could be memory of a porn. It could be memory of a partner. It could be the partner you're with now. Any of those scenarios is worth investigating if you want to wean yourself off the reliance on porn. It, it's kind of fun, so I hear. I've had so much fun talking to you in that education is everything around sexuality. Uh, a better understanding of self, a better understanding of the people around you makes for greater pleasure and greater connection. So thank you, Alicia Fisher, for being here. One of the things we have talked about that I know you're well-versed in, because you mentioned workshops earlier, is, uh, is sex clubs. So the next time you come here, if you are so kind to join us again soon, uh, I would love to do a sex club 101 episode and, and really dig in. But for now, um, tell us what you have to offer, where we can dig in deeper with you, Alicia. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're wanting to connect with me, learn more about my supports and services, you can head on over to my website, inspireintimacy.com. There is not only where you can get connected to my supports and services, but also my social medias. So uh, my Instagram is alicia.jj.fisher. That is where I'm posting, you know, various workshops. If I'm at Oasis Aqua Lounge, for example, at the sex clubs talking, um, or if I have upcoming workshops about sex for survivors and people who have experienced trauma and reconnecting with pleasure. So there is where you're going to get all the information, inspireintimacy.com. Thank you so much. And I look forward to the next time we get to do this. Thank you. She did it right at the Blue Hotel. She did it right at the Blue Hotel. All right, it's story time. An adult bedtime story that takes us on a country drive. So, you like to take a drive in the country with the windows down, cruising speed, someone beside you with whom to take it all in. I got lost in a daydream about just that. Thoughts about pulling over and getting down. Maybe taking it outside, maybe a walk in the woods. To be one with nature, and one with another. I stumbled upon a short poem a minute ago that got me thinking. It goes like this. It makes me feel like a teenager again. I like to lean across the seat, to slide my hand up your leg and my tongue over your ear, 
the air conditioning blowing a draft across my thighs, like the first night. Racing out of the city, I direct you in the dark. We search for a mountain road. You ripped my tank top that night, as though my breasts could no longer be contained. They must have craved the touch of moonlight behind your hands. Multitasking, you unbutton my shorts and examine my tattoos. Your fingers tickle my skin and continue across my body to pull me on top. Straddling you in the back seat makes me feel like a teenager again. That was written by good girl here, whoever that might be. Of course, we all have a story, don't we? Now here's mine. There's no air conditioning in this one. It's a beautiful warm day. Old cars are the best for one main reason. The bench seat. No console in the way. Wide open spaces back and front. It was a Sunday. Breakfast over with, he pulled on his jeans and t-shirt and slipped on his boots and slipped out of the house. Then he got behind the wheel of a 1961 Continental with suicide doors, black as night in color, and he headed down the laneway and onto the side road toward her place. Just the thought of seeing her made his pants tight. In the six or seven minutes it took to get to her, the anticipation had his heart beating. She'd been awakened early by her dreams, as usual, that continued in real time, wide awake over tea and toast. She draped a summer dress over her breasts and down her body, falling not far below the place that had become wet, waiting for him to arrive. On time, every time, they respected one another's schedules. That was sexy. She caught a glimpse of his ride pulling in, and she slipped on shoes and leapt from the porch onto the path and toward his car. Her eyes were big every time they met, so were his. Their hearts actually beat differently for one another than anyone else in the world. He held her door open. She jumped in. The engine purred as they cruised down the country road, the air warm, the windows down. Her dress was smooth and sheer. She hiked it up a little more to reveal her bareness beneath, and she shimmied her body over nice and close. It had been a week since they'd seen each other, and he challenged himself to save it up for her. And feeling her that close to him made his cock so hard it hurt, stuck as it was down his pant leg. One hand on the wheel, he reached down with the other and pulled it upwards so it faced north, its tip peeking above his jeans pocket. She grinned at the sight of it, and she reached for his free hand and placed it where she was wet, soaking wet. She was staring at him now, with his crooked wide grin turning into a little laugh, for the love of life. This part of it, anyway, where they could be alone with nothing but time and intention to just feel good. Then she said, have it. And so he did. Hand beneath her dress, palm resting on her perfect dark triangle, a soft and beautiful bush, he gently stroked up and down with his middle finger. It slid with ease. She was never not wet for him. Up and down and around, slowly. Now two fingers found a pattern that pleased her. Nothing too intense, yet. They were barely beyond the edge of town and had time to savor the sweetness of a sunny day. Her juices flowing, she said one word. Inside. He slipped a finger in just a bit, and she said more. And further inside it went and gently circled around and around, and they knew, 
were it not for the sound of the car cutting through the breeze, they'd hear the sound it was making. She gripped his wrist and pulled his hand away, but not because she didn't like it, but to guide his fingers into her mouth, and she sucked. She knew it drove him crazy when she did that, so she kept doing it, gliding her lips from the tip on down and again and again. And then she placed her hand back down where it started, and they kept driving, and the music played, and he played with her spot, circling and coaxing. But she needed to feel what she was doing to him, so she placed her left hand on it, the outline prominent. She traced it up the left, around the tip, peeking out of the jeans, and down the right with her finger, and then with two fingers she gave its head a good squeeze and from the tip of his cock emerged his sticky sweet that she put to her lips, circling the fullness of them like it was lip gloss. <sighs> she was so fucking sexy. His fingers hadn't stopped. Her wetness only grew. They drove on, playing with one another as they did. Country drives with a bomb on a bench seat, especially. His eyes glanced into the rearview mirror, to the big seat behind them. His grin broadened and she knew what he was thinking because she was thinking the same thing. And her hand had unzipped his jeans and fully freed his length. Then she drew from her own wetness onto her fingers, enough to make the strokes up and down around his shaft slide nice and freely too. Their arms were crisscrossed, their parts on fire. And just then he pulled off the road heading down toward the water where nobody went, where their property was actually private. Not a stone's throw from the waves, but it was safe. It was his friend's place, nobody home. The car ambled up the long drive and off to the side and into the uncut grass towards the woods, where the sound of the water had been replaced by the chirping of birds. They were all alone, and he pushed it into park, and out of the car they went his pants still open, her dress still on, but she was fully accessible and really needed to come. In fact, they both did. Of course, ladies first. He pulled the handle of the rear door, the suicide door, meaning it swung back, and he guided her body back and her knees bent. She was seated now, facing him, and onto his knees he dropped, and so did his head between her legs and his fingers back into the space between. And so was his mouth, his tongue working her spot in the circling motion she craved. And he knew that was the best way to send her to the place she loved. He focused all his energy on her, tonguing her spot as he raised his eyes to meet hers. And it wasn't long before she found herself there, her body pulsed, her legs started to shake, and her back arched and her neck reddened, and her lips turned cherry red. He said, breathe, baby, and she sighed, and then she said, okay, I need it now. And in one motion, it seemed, she fell back onto the back seat, her legs still bent, and he said, hold on tight, and with her arms around his neck, he lifted her body along the full length of the back seat. And the head of his cock easily found her opening, and his shaft slipped all the way inside. And then he withdrew, like he did, and she knew what he was up to. 
and she loved the way he'd rest his tip against her lips and then suddenly drive back into her and then pull out again, playing, teasing, varying the length of time before he'd drive back inside of her. And they kept that up for a while, and he laughed and groaned, and she moaned, and she just really wanted to come again. And she knew when she did, he'd unload what he'd been saving up all week inside her. And then she said, I want on top. And just like that, she was above him, her body rising, then dropping and doing what he'd done to her, holding herself up and holding it right there before dropping down again, increasingly harder. The sound of it turned them both on. She knew how to fuck back. And just then, she kept herself tight to his body, grinding her way to the edge again. And the sounds she made took him to the edge, too. And as she told him she was about to, she did. And she shuddered, and she released everything she'd been saving, too, gushing its way out of her and onto him which drove him out of his mind, and he came with the force of wild horses, filling her loving cup all the way up. As the cum dripped from inside her onto him, she kissed him deeply, and they held on tight. There was just nothing under the sun quite like their country drives. Come on, let's go to the blue hotel. Please take me back to the blue the blue hotel podcast just about every thursday at midnight eastern follow listen enjoy rate review share repeat thank you till next time i'm jeff woods to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.